are listening to the Subtle Forces Podcast. I am your host, Anja, not Anja. This week, I am interviewing American artist Marsha McDonald, who just moved to Porto, Portugal, and is sitting in the street outside her new apartment with her computer so that she can describe the scene around her. I live in a hat worker's cottage. This is where I live. And what's that growing? It's, it's a plant that's, that's clipped to the window. What kind of a plant is that? That is an easy care plastic plant. There's a whole row of these cottages that go all the way down the hill. They're owned by different individuals now. This area is not exactly the most popular in Porto. It's a very nice area. It's a working class, middle class arts neighborhood, but not quite as popular as some of the other areas, thank God. But it's getting gentrified, which is good and bad. That's why you see a for sale sign on the property next to mine. These cottages are very small. They're only about 550 square feet. It's a bedroom, one large room, and a bathroom, about the size of a small Milwaukee apartment. They're not that old, and they've had so many renovations. Mine is fairly new inside. It's sort of a Ikea renovated uh, space, lots of cabinets and stuff from Ikea. What I would say, gosh, the outside might be turn of the century, but the inside may be 30s, 40s, 50s of the 20th century. The human neighbors are older. Their families come often to visit on Sundays or come for lunch. They're nice. I don't speak Portuguese, so it's quite difficult. And then the non-human members of the area, we have a lot of street cats that have been spayed and neutered by the community, but they're taken care of as well. They're fed daily by people in the neighborhood. And we also have a lot, a lot, a lot of dogs. It's a quiet place, but a busy place. (laughs) And oh, and here, I don't know if I can show you, but that's the, the big wall going up. There's an orange tree. That's the old home of the factory owner. No one lives there now. I'll try to place this so you can look down the hill. Beautiful. So you got a cobblestone street and lots of stucco and tile. You have a big uh, stone wall against which cars are parked. And it's a narrow European street. So there's only one side for parking. And there's no difference between the street and the surface that people walk on. There's no sidewalk. Not on this little street. On the larger streets, there are, but this is really quite a small, almost what we'd call a lane. There really isn't room for a sidewalk. It looks very hilly there. It looks kind of like San Francisco or something. It is very hilly, and I live at the top of a smaller hill. The tourist area, what's called Central Porto, is actually near the river. That's below me. I'm more central, but this is actually a newer addition to the city. The more medieval and older parts of the city are down the hill near the river. So um, why are you there in Portugal? 
Oh, um, for a lot of reasons, Anja. Um, I have friends here and they spoke about the quality of life for artists. And I made a decision that I thought living here might be more sustainable for the kind of artist I am and the person I am. And uh, so I took the leap and sold my house and came here on renting in this particular neighborhood for six months to see if I like it. And I think I'll do something similar in another neighborhood and so on to see if I find a place where I'd like to work in and live a little more permanently. But for now, I've been here one week and I really like it. The people are kind. The food is good. The weather was a surprise. It's warmer than I had expected. So you moved to Portugal just last week? Yes. Oh, wow. So I really contacted you. I, I figured you were in Portugal for a while now. Oh, that's funny. Wow. Today will be exactly nine days, 10 days. Yeah, not even two weeks. So what are the things you've noticed in your first week of being in Portugal that stood out to you? It's comfortable to live here. What I mean by that is that there are no huge surprises. If you've traveled in other European cities, there are similarities. There's a lot of traffic, a lot of parking on the street. It's a very university-centered town, so there's tons of students now with the university opening up. So that part wasn't a surprise, but it's something I noticed. The surprising thing is probably more to do with the pandemic. The Portuguese have been a lot better than the Americans at getting vaccinated and following precautions, even though they're vaccinated. About 84, 85% of Portuguese people are vaccinated now. And people don't feel that they're standing out if they wear a mask. They don't look at it as some sort of political antagonism to wear a mask. If they're walking down the street and they happen upon a group of unknown people, perhaps tourists, because it's still tourist season, they'll put a mask on, no problem. You have to wear a mask inside and at the bus stations and airport. So that's a little different, that there isn't a great deal of discussion about the pros and cons of mask wearing. People just do it most of the time. Getting information, there's a ton of people under 40 who speak English. So it's, it's easy. And a ton of people over 40 who speak French so that you can find second language bridges until you learn Portuguese. What are some of the things that you've eaten in Portugal? I've eaten out only twice. I had a typical um, traditional Portuguese rice and beans lunch, which was very delicious. And I ate a, a seafood dish made with bacalao, which is dried codfish. Uh, just croquettes, just little reconstituted cod made into little like crab cakes, only they're cod cakes. That was very delicious. And I've done a lot of my own cooking. I, I don't cook a lot, but simple things, salads and pasta. And I'm lucky enough to know a couple here where she's a very good cook. And last night I had a wonderful tuna carpaccio and a vegetable pie um, that she did. All of that was good. I would say for people in America, you know, we have such a cultural confluence in our own country. You can find a lot of that here. You can find Japanese sushi and you can find a wonderful Indian food. You can find American 
KFC and McDonald's if you want it. (laughs) What do you hope artistically to gain from Portugal? Because you mentioned that it would be more conducive to your artistic vision. What, What exactly is that? Well, I like to live a quiet life and look at the landscape and things around me and um, form ideas based on that and then execute them in a medium that I find suits the idea. So I'm not attracted or attached to just one medium without having to work two jobs, which I've been doing for most of my adult life. Right now, I'm living very modestly on a um, widow's social security pension and doing my work, I probably will go back to work as an ESL teacher, not so much in Portugal, but when it opens up, I will continue to travel to Japan where I was working, but that's going to be easier here than it is in the United States. My taxes on my house in uh, Milwaukee in the United States and the um, bills associated with that and needing to have a renter just to make things work it was getting pretty difficult. Now I'm hoping I can find a little simpler life that'll allow me to work on my work full time. So you're going to live in Portugal and then eventually travel to Japan here and there to teach? to work to teach. I um, worked for several companies there and I'll continue that when they allow Americans back in. Um, It's not about Portugal either. I mean, it's, I'm an American, so my passport um, is not one they want in Japan right now because of our, our history with the pandemic. It's just not, they're not letting Americans in. If it was easier to access Japan, would you be living there? I think so. It's, it's a quicker journey. It's only seven hours. And I suppose I could work online from here. Um, I did do work online when I lived in Milwaukee. It was really pretty tiring because of the huge time differences um, my students had. Um, I had students in Colombia and students in China and Japan, and the, the time differences were really tough on me because, of course, when you do that kind of work, you, you rely on their time, not yours. So it's convenient for them, not for you. <laughs> And um, here, I think it'll be convenient for both of us. As you know, we're only six hours apart now here. It's a lot easier when you have that sort of time difference than when you have like 14 hours or 12 hours. Well, what other countries have you lived in? Well, I taught in Korea and lived there. And um, I spent two summers in the United Arab Emirates teaching. And I've also spent time off and on in Japan, of course, semesters at a time, and then coming back to the U.S. Um, I participated in a lot of art houses. I would go for uh, three months and then go home and then go back for three months. So like a six month out of a year kind of thing. And I really liked it. I like living between places. Um, I wouldn't recommend it for everybody, especially if you have close family in a city like Milwaukee or another city. I think it would be really difficult, but I don't have that. I have a different kind of life, so it worked out well for me. Do you have a place that feels more like home than other places? Yeah, 
it's my heart. It's not a real place. The place I grew up with doesn't exist anymore. The places from my childhood are just memories. They've all been developed. They don't, don't exist. Even my high school doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> um, and the places that I have fond memories of, for example, the uh, outer hate and sunset districts in San Francisco, those don't exist anymore. They've been changed by desperation and gentrification into unrecognizable places to me when I go back. So I would say that the image of home for me is more of an emotional one within. Maybe that's why I'm attracted to moving around the world. I, I don't feel a particular anchor in a solid geographical place. Was your spouse the same way? No. Kevin, my spouse, was born on the north side of Milwaukee. We met in San Francisco, and he never really liked it there. When we moved back in the mid-90s to Milwaukee, he'd found his soul place. That's where he was the most creative and I think really fulfilled the things that he was gifted with, teaching and writing he would have hated this life. If you have a partner in life, it, it's different. You know, you, you do make a lot of compromises. You don't feel, I never felt deprived because he didn't like to, to live in places. He still did some of it, but he wasn't as happy as I was with it. So we compromised and lived, you know, it was one reason that we started the on again, off again, living between Milwaukee and other places, because he really wanted to go back a lot. <laughs> that makes sense. So what do you notice that's happening around you right now? It's like in the hour of four o'clock there. It's very quiet. I think most people it's Sunday, and I think that's a day, Saturday and Sunday are when people meet for, um, you know, their moms and dads and go to the grandparents. And um, I think dinner is over and people are either resting watching television or out for a walk somewhere. And that's pretty much my neighborhood. It's quite quiet right now. Even the cats are gone. I don't know where they are. I thought we might get a cat fight here. We have so many cats here, but they're all gone too. You can get tons of unfurnished apartments here, but I took a furnished place with some utilities and internet included. Compared to the other nationalities that have immigrated, for example, the British or the French, no. We're in the single digit thousands, maybe closing in on 10,000, whereas the other nationalities are all in the double digits, mid double digits. Um, there aren't that many of us here. Time isn't exact here. So lunch is somewhere between 12 and 3 maybe a little later. And then dinner is later, usually seven to nine, maybe even 10. I've actually seen people eating something around 11. That's a little late, but maybe more, you know, eight, eight through 10 for dinner. Breakfast isn't a big deal here, although it is for me, but it isn't necessarily for the Portuguese, but lunch is huge. And so is supper. When do people sleep? Uh, they go to bed. Uh, well, I'm in a, that's hard because again, I'm in a, a neighborhood that has a lot of the different schools for the University of po 
Portugal and Porto. So um, I, I feel like I'm sort of gonna say the wrong thing because I see a lot of students everywhere. <laughs> um, but I think working people probably go to sleep between 11 and one and they get up seven or eight in the morning to go to work. I'm near an elementary school and it seems like the kids are coming in 839 to go to school. And the parents, I mean, that's very interesting to me too, because although lots of people drive here, um, it's not unusual to see mom or dad pick up the kids and walk home, even if it's a 20 or 30 minute walk. Porto is imminently walkable, even though it has hills, if you're in pretty good shape. The other day I walked to a friend's house it was uh, about an hour's walk up and down hills. It was really nice. And I walked home around 10.30, 11.30, safe as could be. I'd never do that in Milwaukee on the east side. On the weekend in my neighborhood, the lower east side, there were a lot of drunk people at that time. And so unfortunately also crime. When I walked home, it was mostly students. And you don't have to be a drinker here if you want to stay out late. The coffee shops are open so that if you're a student or a person like me who would like to go out, but you don't want to go to a bar, you have that choice here. It's, it's just so nice to walk by places where they're serving a little bit of food, not full dinners, but, you know, it's 12 o'clock at night. The night is beautiful and people are sitting out having a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. I'm 64 and I'm doing something completely out of my safety zone as far as language and living. And I'm doing it alone as a woman without a whole lot of money. That's scary. But I kind of felt like, you know, there's a saying in Buddhism, you think you have time. And I kind of feel like if you don't do it when you can, when are you going to do it? We don't know what's next. So that was a little scary. And I admit there have been a few nights here where I've been in bed and suddenly thought, what the hell did I do? <laughs> but I mean, there are nice people everywhere in the world. So that kind of sustains me when I have those moments of panic. Um, I encourage people to go a little bit past their comfort zone in their lives, especially artists. It's kind of important. It doesn't mean that everybody has to hop on a plane and go live in another country, but I think it's important to push past what you think you are into something that you're not sure of. Mm, yes, that's, I love that. That's my favorite hobby. <laughs> are you going to take classes for Portuguese or are you just going to try and pick it up on your own? I'm taking both classes and I'm using a an online program, but the um, government here also offers classes with tutors. Um, if I want to stay in Portugal, I have to at least get A2 proficient. That's a pretty low, that's like high beginner level. And I'm nowhere near that right now. People say Portuguese is difficult. I don't think it's that difficult. It's just for people who have learned other Mediterranean languages, for example, French or 
um, Spanish, they'll see tons of similarities. And that's really the danger that you end up making sounds that are different. But the structure is not that difficult. It's um, very similar to other Romance languages. And it's really, really pretty when you hear it. I mean, some people say it sounds Russian. Some people say it sounds a bit French or uh, Galician, which is a language in Northern Spain. I don't know. I just think it sounds pretty. So the government offers free lessons. And then for a very small fee, you can take um, tests and things to get your equivalencies in it. So I'm taking both. I know a little Spanish, un poquito. And um, uh, that is one of my confusions when I'm out doing something and I start to get flustered. What little Portuguese I have goes out the window. I start mixing other languages and that's not good. That's confusing, you know, for the person listening to you too. So the other thing I, I thought that people here would like are the library system. Since we have such a fantastic library system in Milwaukee, they have a really good one here too. And they have lots of English books. So I won't be lonely for English books. Knowing there's a library system here that just really psyched me and that it's really accessible for people who don't speak Portuguese as a first language. So it's the photography museum here, which is free and is actually housed in an old prison, which is kind of creepy, but um, it's a great photography museum. And of course they have other museums too. So did you successfully sell your house and everything already? I did. The market is really um, very, very, strong right now. I mean, I think it's going down a little bit now, but um, I had in mind what I wanted um, and maybe I'm a little nutty, but I didn't want, I mean, there were developers interested, um, but I wasn't interested in a developer. I loved my neighborhood. I loved my neighbors. So I looked at three people. I, we put the house up on a Thursday and I had decided by Monday at two o'clock who I wanted to buy the house. So I was only up for a short time. And the woman who bought my house, Sherry, she's also a single woman in her 60s. We share the same birthday. Uh -huh. <laughs> she's a writer. Um, her son and his partner um, have two small children. So she's in Milwaukee. She's never lived in Milwaukee before but she's a phenomenally creative kind person. And it's precisely the kind of person that I wanted for the house. Wow, where did she come in from? Uh, she was living in Costa Rica. <laughs> she was raised in Manhattan and had lived in Colorado and then was living in Costa Rica and decided to, I think the pandemic and other issues brought her to her, mostly the pandemic, brought her to Milwaukee. <laughs> That's so, amazing. There's so much overlap between her and you. You had to sell to her. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes when you're doing things that you maybe should be doing, maybe, maybe things sort of fall into some chain of synchronistic events like this. I, I don't have any regrets, really, Anja. It's, I've left the house in good hands and um, my neighbors have somebody that isn't going to turn an already sort of gentrified neighborhood into more apartments. And uh, yeah, it's all good. So coming here, 
like I said, this neighborhood is not quite as cool as some of the other neighborhoods. Yay. Um, but, you know, Porto is super popular and I'm not quite sure how long I'll stay. You think you might try Lisbon or somewhere else? Just like I had no desire to live in New York City, I have no desire to live in Lisbon. I'd love to visit it, but it's too many people. The bus and, and train system are really good here. And if you and they have just heavily discounted tickets at certain times. My friend Cindy, who's also an artist, um, she and her husband, who's a filmmaker, they live um, down the coast, um, what's called the Silver Coast, and in a town called Caldas Gerenia. And she took a bus to visit me. It was a three-hour ride for 19 euros. Just it was discounted. So very easy for her to get here. Very clean buses, very, very good transport. So it is possible to live a little outside and, uh, you know, we'll see. I never say never because next week I might find a great apartment and think, ah, I've got to rent that next, you know. So is this your first time ever in Portugal or have you been there before? I've never been here before. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, I want to live there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had friends who lived here including Portuguese friends. And you, know, you kind of know something, I hope, about the content of the character of the people that you call close friends. And um, we were all united in our values. And our values are people over profit. It doesn't mean we don't want to make money. It just means people are more important. Wanting to be in a multicultural, tolerant place, and this place is very tolerant. Sure, they have problems with immigrants. Sure, they have problems with homophobia and uh, transgender issues, but they're a lot more tolerant than a lot of places in the U.S. Um, there are a lot of gay people moving here. Um, I've seen transgender just sitting having coffee. Nobody's bothering them. They're just being themselves. That makes me very comfortable here. Because as an artist, you want to live in a place of diversity where people feel free. Lots of people from different, of different colors and ages. That's the place for me. My friends are diverse and they were comfortable. So that was a pretty big plus for me. I wouldn't trust this if, if all my friends were from San Francisco. Sorry, San Francisco. But San Francisco is a very, very, very expensive city now. And if everyone I knew had come from there, I would be a little bit worried because I'd say, wow, it's probably very expensive in Porto. But um, the people that I know, some have money, some don't. And um, they all seem to have a pretty good standard of living here. So that was good. Oh, obrigada. Thank you. That's over. That's a uh, thank you in Portuguese. Yes, from a female. So men say obrigado and women like we, we would say obrigada. So, and if I wanted to say thank you very much, I would say muito obrigado. Oh, that's beautiful. It's pretty, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So muito obrigada, Anja. <laughs> muito obrigado. Beautiful. <laughs> That concludes this episode of the Sutton Sports. 
Remember, you have both your logic and your feelings with which to interpret any subtle force. Mm -hmm.